and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. When it comes to budgets and autumn statements, the word of the Institute of Fiscal Studies is the word of God. Not my phrase, but Nick Robinson's. And joining me today is Paul Johnson, the director of the IFS. Welcome to The Bunker, Paul. Thank you. The Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, reportedly quoted Barack Obama recently, and he said, this would be really interesting shit if I wasn't in the middle of it. (laughs) Just how bad a situation are we in compared to previous crises in Britain? Well, we've come through the immediate crisis, which was precipitated by the mini budget back at the end of September. And thankfully, with a new chancellor and uh, most of those policies got rid of and the Bank of England having sorted out the immediate crisis with pension funds, I think it's probably a little overstating it to say we're in in an immediate crisis in the way that we were in COVID or the way we were during the financial crisis. But we've got a series of challenges. We've got, obviously, historically high inflation and a very, very slow-growing economy, almost certainly in recession at the moment, all of which creates a big problem for the public finances. We've come off the back of a decade of public spending cuts, and yet there's still no money around to do anything about that in terms of spending more, unless we're willing to put taxes up. So some really tough choices for Jeremy Hunt, which is one reason why I suspect he's not enjoying all the interesting things that are happening at the moment. He and his aides have been flying quite a few kites in the media in the last few days about how they're planning to plug the fiscal hole. What, in your view, are the more sensible suggestions for raising taxes? Well, I mean, there's been an extraordinary number of ideas, haven't there? He's got two dimensions of choices on filling the fiscal hole. One is when to do it? Is this something that he's going to change immediately or say that he's going to do something a year or two or three down the road? And then as you intimate, is this through taxes or spending? And then within each of that, what do you do? So it's worth saying on taxes, of course, we have had some pretty chunky tax rises already announced. Uh, Corporation tax going up to 25% in April four years of freezing of personal tax allowances and thresholds, which is a huge tax rise over that four-year period, possibly getting on for £30 billion a year by the end of the period. So don't forget there are some very big tax rises there already. Now, if he wants serious additional money from tax rises, then he probably needs to look at the serious taxes. So national insurance contributions, of course, that was increased and then it's been cut again whether it is politically feasible to increase it back to where it was supposed to have been increased, we'll wait and see, but that's an obvious option. There are things, other things you can do within income tax without raising income tax rates. Most obvious is um, reducing the value of pension, con- ta- pension tax contribution relief. And the other big ones, you've got national insurance and income tax, the other big tax is VAT. It's in the last Two times we've had a big fiscal crisis back in the early 1990s. And in 2010, we saw VAT increase, so at least feasible that they'll be considering that. Most of the other things that we've heard about are almost inevitably relatively minor. You can't raise very large amounts of money from inheritance tax or capital gains tax or any of the other myriad of smaller taxes which are knocking around out there. So the tactic you mentioned before of keeping tax thresholds the same rather than raising them with inflation, that's called fiscal drag, isn't it? And he might be using it with inheritance tax as well so that people's estates more would be dragged into that. 
is that a useful tactic at the moment? Because it occurred to me that if inflation falls, then that's going to raise a bit less than they'd hoped for. And yet the government obviously wants inflation to fall, doesn't it? Yeah, well, a fiscal drag is a very useful tool for government. Governments have used it since time immemorial. Yes, I mean, inflation, they do want to fall and it will fall over time. But the extraordinary thing is that when they first announced the freezing of the income tax thresholds, I think they expected to raise eight or nine billion pounds four years out because at that point, which is back in spring 2021, the expectation was that inflation will be 2%. We're now going to have probably two years of inflation at 10%. And it's now expected to raise three or possibly even four times as much as was originally intended. So this is one of the oddities about that way of raising taxes. That has turned out to be a much, much bigger tax increase than was intended when it was announced, which is quite um, you know, quite fortunate in many ways for the for the Chancellor. You you introduced the, the question by talking about inheritance tax, and I saw that on the front page of one of the newspapers this morning as a sort of big splash headline. Well, the inheritance tax threshold has been th- frozen for years, and in addition, um, freezing it would raise, roughly speaking, diddly squat. I mean, it's um, you know why that managed to get on the front page, particularly of the Financial Times, I really don't understand. Let's talk about the triple lock on pensions, because there have been rumours that might be abandoned, and now it seems it might not be. Did you think there's a case for abandoning it? Well, there is a case clearly for abandoning it um, over the medium term. What is the triple lock? It means that every year, the pension raise increases by the higher of inflation earnings increases or two and a half percent. The result is that over time, the uh, pension It just continues to rise relative to all of those measures. It takes a bigger and bigger fraction of spending, and it rises in a random way, depending on the relationship in every individual year between inflation, earnings increases, and 2.5%. On this particular occasion, the argument is to not increase the pension in line with prices, but increase it in line with earnings instead, because earnings obviously are going up a lot less quickly than prices. And in some ways, this is one of the more difficult years to move away from that, because actually to cut the real value of the state pension significantly at a time when pensioners are probably particularly hard hit by increasing prices for fuel, which uh, they spend uh, energy, they spend more on than people of working age. And in a world in which the government's almost certainly going to have to provide additional support, this would seem a, a strange time to do it. So uh, I think the answer to your question is yes, in the medium term, I think we should move away from the triple lock. I think this will be genuinely a slightly strange year in which to start doing that. In general, the Conservatives have put quite a lot of emphasis on protecting elderly people's incomes. I mean, there's a whole debate here around intergenerational fairness, but is it time to tip that balance given the pressures on young people in terms of house prices, in terms of student loans? Have we have we been getting the balance wrong and is it time to tip it back? Well, I think the balance has gone wrong. I think that's not actually much to do with the state pension. It's more to do with a whole series of other things that have happened uh, in the economy. So one of the very big issues here is occupational pensions, old-style def- old salary-related occupational pensions, which a significant fraction, they absolutely by no means all current pensioners have, and which nobody effectively of working age unless they're in the public sector has and it's people of working age who are effectively paying for this because whether they like it or not the the current pensioners uh, for that didn't save anywhere near enough uh, to cover the uh, as it turns out enormous costs of these things so they've they've been very lucky in that respect 
They've also been very lucky in respect of what's been happening to asset prices over the last decade. So house prices, prices of stocks and shares and so on have gone up much more quickly than income. So that's meant they've also got an extra chunk of the economy, as it were. And at the same time, younger people have seen very, very poor earnings growth. And indeed, the last 15 years have been just about the worst, pretty much since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution in terms of growth in incomes and earnings for people who under state pension age. Um, So I think all of those things are probably more important, actually, than what's been happening to the level of the state pension. And don't forget, the state pension drifted down for a 30-year period between 1980 and 2010, falling from something like a quarter of average earnings to something like not much more than 15% of average earnings over that that period. So I think there was a strong case for a bit of of catch-up. But so so I, I I I agree with the broad premise of what you were saying is that pensioners broadly have been doing really rather well relative to young people and the government has been quite you know, has been taking money from young people. I think that the role of the government in protecting the state pension has been actually a pretty small element of that relative um, economic success of the older generation. talk about some of the other taxes which uh, haven't perhaps been so much discussed in the last few weeks. What about VAT? Would a rise in the VAT rate be a more progressive way to to raise taxes? Uh, Increasing VAT isn't a particularly progressive way of uh, raising taxes. No, it's a very effective way. Increases in VAT bring in serious uh, amounts of of money. VAT is one of the three big taxes alongside income tax and national insurance contributions. And you could raise serious sums by increasing it by a couple of percentage points, probably more than enough the uh, relative to what the government needs. And indeed, if you look back at the early 1990s, look back at 2011, previous times when lots of money has been needed, governments have turned to VAT. Of course, it's now a relatively high rate. It's at 20%. So increases are, the, the higher it goes, the more difficult it is to increase it. One of the curiosities of VAT of course, is that it's raised on actually a relatively limited part of our spending. There's no VAT on food, of course, no VAT on things like books and newspapers and children's clothing, and it's raised at a very low rate on household energy. In fact, we've got one of the narrowest VAT bases in the whole of the OECD. So every country in the OECD, other than the United States, has a value-added tax, and most of them raise it on a broader set of goods and services than we do. So if you do increase uh, VAT on the things on which it is uh, charged, then you magnify the difference between the treatment of things that are subject to VAT and things that aren't subject to VAT. And of course, there's all sorts of mad court cases around what should and shouldn't have VAT charged on it. The most famous one is probably the Jaffa Cakes one, where Vitties took um, HMRC, or as it was then, Customs and Excise, to court claiming that Jaffa Cakes were in fact cakes which aren't subject to VAT and not biscuits which are subject to VAT. McVitie's won that one. And then you have these kind of strange things where um, it depends on exactly how much chocolate there is on your gingerbread man as according to whether it uh, has VAT charged on it. And did you know that um, honeybees are not subject to VAT, but bumblebees are? 
And if you want a, a pet, get a pet rabbit. There's no VAT on rabbits, as there is in all other pets. And the reason is that your pet rabbit is edible. So that's uh, you know all, all rather silly examples, but um, but but VAT is 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 a pretty deeply complex thing to manage. Other taxes, other taxes that we don't use in this country, but we should. I mean, I'm thinking of kinds of land tax, perhaps new kinds of duties. Do we need to think maybe a bit more creatively than we do about taxation? Would you like to see that happen? I think there is a case for things like um, a land tax. I mean, we we sort of we we, we have things almost stand in place of it to some degree so council tax for example is a tax sort of on the value of your property that you live in as a you know, at least a tax on the value as it was back in 1991 and that you know, a large part of the value is in the land and business rates similarly it's a tax on the value of the well the rental value of the property and again a large part of the value of that is in the land and indeed particularly for business rates there's a strong case of moving to a tax on the value of the land. The truth is, though, that a lot of this exempts most land. So farmland is not subject to either council tax or business rates, and indeed is also not subject to inheritance tax. So we actually tax uh, land and the ownership of land rather more lightly than just about everything else. And I think there is a strong case for moving in that kind of uh, in that kind of direction people also talk about um, you know, making more use of green and environmental taxes to raise revenue i think all of these will be moves in the right direction but i don't think any of them is going to raise really serious sums of money if you look all around the world all tax systems are different and some of them are very different but every single one of them raises the large majority of their revenue from equivalents of income tax, national insurance contributions, and VAT. Uh, and you think of green taxes, I mean, they're successful you know, when there's no more money coming in, because the whole point is to change change behaviour. Tobacco taxes have been very successful in reducing the amount of smoking. And actually, the truth is, as far as green taxes are concerned, far and away, the biggest green tax we have is, 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 is duty on petrol. And we've cut that every single year for the last 12 years. So these are not politically easy things to do. And indeed, uh, revealed preference by governments is that they can't do it. Talking about things that are not politically easy to do, obviously, there will have to be savings, as the government puts it, that are made, uh, cuts to public spending. And as far as we can understand, the NHS and education are fairly ring-fenced protected from that. Where do you think the axe will fall? What, I mean, there isn't much fat to cut, is there? There isn't, and um, if uh, I mean, I mean, let, let's look at what the big spending areas are. Well, you've mentioned the NHS already; that's the biggest area of spending. And if that, if you protect that, then you've dramatically reduced your room for manoeuvre. The next biggest is pensions. Well, I think I mean, we keep hearing different briefings, don't we? But it sounds like they're going to go up in line with prices as usual. Uh, the next biggest is working age benefits. Well, it will be extraordinary not to increase those in line with inflation. Uh, these go to the poorest people of working age and at a point where they're you know, really looking at big problems through energy and food price increases. And then the next big is education. Uh, and then you're getting down to defence. Well, I don't think we're cutting defence spending anytime soon, given that at least the previous prime minister was promising to massively increase it. So you you, you see the problem. You get you, you, you have to get down into the smaller areas, bits of local government, social care, justice, and so on which are exactly the areas that were chopped by 20, 25% already over the 20, 
tens, which doesn't leave very much. Now, the sorts of, you know, so where might government be looking? Well, yeah, one place is, and we've again seen briefings about this, the capital budget, actually the one bit of government spending that is at historically high levels, apart from the health service, is on capital spending. Uh, and you know, if you look at the 1990s, again, you look at the financial crisis, that's where a big uh, swathe of savings uh, were found, big cuts. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that again, though for a government that really focused on growth, not necessarily the right place to be the right place to be looking. And actually, the truth is, of course, across the public services, there's really big upward pressure. Uh, most public sector workers, nurses, teachers, civil servants have had way below inflation pay rises this year. I mean, there's, 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 there's nowhere near enough money in the budgets to meet inflation again next year. And they've had big pay cuts over the last decade. So you know, finding serious savings here is, is, is going to be eye-wateringly difficult. You've, uh, at the IFS, you've published a report on uh, why a lot of over 50s have dropped out of the mm. workforce recently since the pandemic. And there's been a bit of um, disagreement about the reasons for that. What did you conclude? The contraction in the workforce over the last couple of years since COVID has been quite remarkable and really important economically. And it's one of you know, one of the reasons, though by no means the only one, that we've got this huge number of vacancies. It's something that's going to you know, help push up inflation as well. And the biggest drop has come among the over 50s, the over 55s. What we find in our work is that that's mostly driven by people voluntarily taking earlier retirement than they otherwise would have done. Now, a number of people have suggested it's down to increased ill health among that generation. And uh, if you want to get into the nerdy details, the reason they conclude that, not unre- you know, perfectly understandably, is if you look at data from this year and data from three years ago, and you look at people out of work over the age of 55, they look a lot sicker than they did. So it looks like it's increased sickness, which is driving it. But if actually what you look at is how individual people move over this period, what you actually see is that that increased level of sickness among that age group is driven by people who have already been out of work for a long time, saying now that they were sick, having not said that they were sick previously. And the increase in the number of people out of work is driven by people who were previously in work and have retired and are now happily, it seems, retired and not sick. So it just indicates the importance of looking at this kind of longitudinal data rather than comparing different cross-sections of data. And presumably there are ways that the government can try to encourage these people back to work. Do you think they will try to do that? Well, possibly. I mean, it's not easy for government, though one thing that might persuade them back to work is you know, very high inflation, which they probably weren't expecting when they made these decisions. So they might well be finding themselves considerably less well-off than they'd expected. And of course, we have had increases in state pension age from 60 to 66 for women between 2010 and 2020, and from 65 to 66 for men. And it's going up again to 67 in, what, four years, um, four or five years time. So increases in state pension age will help in that sense. It's not that easy to see what else directly government can do. You could provide sort of over 50s tax credits to uh, make work more valuable to uh, to people of that age. And that'd be quite difficult on to do that on age-related grounds. You can try and help persuade employers to take people on. And obviously, I mean, there is a real problem here for the group who are 
who are ill, uh, who are sick. They may not be at all close to the labour market, but you probably do want to do something about the fact that it appears that we've got a large number of additional people in ill health compared with what we had just a couple of years ago. I suspect no one is going to like this autumn statement, are they? I wouldn't have thought so. Um, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to be in it. I mean, I, I've um, uh, you, there, there might be some nice things for business in there. I mean, after all, corporation tax has you know, is, is is rising to historically high levels in terms of the corporation tax take. And Rishi Sunak, when he was chancellor, promised to look at that and see whether there are ways of providing additional investment incentives and so on. So there might be some things in there for for business and there are reviews of business rates going on as well. But I can't see there being very much largesse. I can't see many taxes on on, on, on you and me being cut. And I can't see um, big increases in any of the main spending areas. I mean, one thing we might find out a bit more about, we might not, we might, is what the plan for supporting us with our energy bills is going to be after next spring. Because uh, again, don't forget that the um, support which caps average bills at £2,500, which was supposed to run for two years, is now only running for six months. Quite rightly, in my view, I think it was absolutely absurd to promise such a vast, untargeted amount of money for two years. But it's really hard to work out exactly what you should do in its stead. Curb your expectations. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Talking of budgets, things are tight for most people at the moment, and we know that. So if you want to support The Bunker, you can do so for as little as £3 a month. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Ros Taylor. The producers were Alex Rees and Jet Gerbertson with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>